Ready, everyone ready to start? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, so hello everyone. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thank yes. you. <laughs> yours, and this is Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week a special guest helps me respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's this week's question. I'm 15 and my good friend at school is male and anorexic. Many people shame him for this because male and anorexic don't seem to match in today's society, sadly. There's also a girl with anorexia, but people give her support, I assume because she's female. I was wondering if you knew anything I could do for people at my school to view males with mental illness differently. Uh, I'll just start by having each of you uh, introduce yourselves, so go ahead. Okay, uh, well my name is Michael. Uh, I'm a, a, a linguist. Uh, I did my studies in linguistics, and at the moment I work in the tech industry uh, in the professional services division for a big software company in Montreal. Uh, my name is Armando Lopez Burkan. Um, I've been an artist for a while, went to school for fine art. Uh, I grew up in Dominican Republic. I moved to the States to pursue my studies, and now living in Montreal. Uh, my name is Graham. I'm currently a PhD student studying um, history, specifically the relationship between peace and masculinity. And prior to going back to do uh, my doctoral dissertation, I was a high school teacher for five years. Okay, well, thank you for being here, everyone. Um, I should also say for full disclosure that Graham is my partner in life and love <laughs> so and also our um you know our token straight white male to be on our podcast so thank you for representing well thank you for having me <laughs> um Mikhail and which I are also makes a couple yeah. a gay couple yeah so, so this is kind of like a double date podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for this episode i decided to invite three people who identify as male to help me respond to this question. Armando and Mikael are a couple who I met last summer, and Graham is my partner. The four of us have formed a friendship that is largely based around having discussions about race and gender, the kinds of discussions that I wanted to replicate here. We first spoke after um, a workshop that was held by a woman. Um, it was like a feminist workshop, and she was she kept kind of saying this thing like white men, white men, white men as like the all-encompassing um, evil of life, sort of. Mm -hmm. And I think we all kind of had some reservations about how maybe limiting that was to the conversation in general of and to how like some like how maybe you guys could feel um, included in these kinds of conversations. So I thought we would make a platform here where we can sort of have a conversation about um, 
masculinity or men or being assigned male at birth um, within feminism. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Every once in a while, a guy or someone who identifies as male will timidly ask me a question on Tumblr. Perhaps some of them feel like an intruder, as though a blog that's 90% pink and 10% wry motion is just for girls. So for this podcast, I decide to set the record straight and make it clear that my blog, my work, and feminism aren't just for cis women. I'm also concerned that sometimes our discussions about gender are too sectioned into different subgroups. While I definitely understand that some spaces need to be kept small and specific, I think that we also need to create spaces where people of different cultural backgrounds, genders, and sexual identities can share their different experiences and try to find ways to support and relate to one another. I guess I'd like to start by just, um, I used to teach an after-school art program, and I got a mental health first aid class, sort of, it's about sort of intervening at beginning stages, and that particular situation, it seems like there's already support, support system going on. The most important part of that question is that that person is receiving that support for their mental health about their anorexia, and this sort of how other people relate to him is like, sometimes you can't change it. It's like more important to take care of the mental health of your friend and to support him and make sure he, he gets the um, support he needs um, from people that know how to support um, those needs. Because um, it's something like physical health. It's something you need to work on all the time, mental health. That's been my experience. It's like you need to keep developing it. Yeah, and I, and I think that part of this question, you know, also speaks to, you know, sort of stereotypes about women also. So it seems, you know, like how people might, uh, you know, talk about women as like hysterical or, you know, sort of like these typical insults that you would see, uh, uh, you know, directed at women that are not so typically directed at, at men, you know. And so it seems that, you know, part of this, you know, aspect of culture uh, sort of plays in this. I don't know. Maybe that should be well. No, no, for <laughs> sure. Like there's Barbie and Monster High dolls for girls, but there's also super muscly GI Joes for guys, and there's all sorts of mm -hmm. expectations. Um, right. That. But rarely would you hear, you know, some men being insulted for being a hysterical person or something. You know, you hear the same kinds of ideas. I mean, I guess these are stereotypes, but you know, within workplaces, you know, if women are in position of power, then it becomes uh, problematic. Yes. Um, well, I'm not sure. I, I think there's so much to un un yeah. unpack in this question, yeah. right? Or yeah. um, something that really, so I'll go in, in an entirely different direction. I think both points by uh, Mikhail and Armando were very interesting. What stood out to me is this idea of um, body image. I guess, or what the expected body image is for for men to have. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I don't know, six feet tall, fairly skinny, and I've been told my whole life that um, that I'm too thin. Um, I don't think I necessarily agree with that, but um, it's it's something that that bothers me. Um, um, and so I've never actually told ambivalently yours this so when we met 
had in my mind that I had to be this kind of not you know buff guy, but kind of more muscular. That I should somehow like be going to the gym. I hate going to the gym. I hate lifting weights. I don't think I've ever done it in my life, uh, or just the idea of lifting weights makes me uncomfortable. Um, but she kind of made me feel indirectly, without even knowing it, that I didn't have to be that kind of, uh, or have to have that type of of body. Because I felt like I I wasn't fitting into this kind of stereotypical male. Um, type, I guess, as it is. Um, so I've just taken you in a completely different direction than the previous two comments, so I don't know. No, no. No, that's fine. I mean, that's so funny that, like, okay. I, I never, like you said, you never told me. I never knew that that was something you you worried about, because I think for women, like, we're always worrying that we're not, what? we're always worrying that we're not, like, thin enough, or, like, we're always worrying that our partners will judge us on our physical, um, uh, how we look. And I get a lot of questions, people being like, oh, I'm afraid to like sleep with my boyfriend because he'll see me naked and he'll think this and this and this. And I think like, it's so rare that we think like, oh, they might be thinking that too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know for myself when I was younger, uh, that that was a worry. So I, I was I always thought of myself even today. I mean, I think of myself as fat often, you know, and I don't you know, I'm not a, an obese person. I'm not, a, you know, and, and not that this is necessarily a problem if you're OK with it, you know, so no fat shaming either. But uh, but this has been my perspective of myself, you know, in various contexts. And and I, I can see that it took me a while to sort of process that when I was younger and you know, but that that means that I've done a lot of exercise too. So I've I've, I've been going to the gym, and and I'm someone who uh, so I'm gay. Uh, I'm married to a man today, uh, but uh, I came out of the closet rather late in life. And I, I know this is tapping into something we'll talk a bit late about a bit later too. But uh, the thing here is that I was very surprised about the contrast to moving from sort of. Uh, let's call it a box of being a heterosexual man where sort of the requirements are kind of this, right? You need to be manly, buff, uh, you know, if you're hairy or not hairy enough, you know, maybe people will comment and so on. But then when you, when I came out, then a whole other world was revealed to me uh, where now all of a sudden, you know, your physical appearance means that you're more acceptable in certain circles and less acceptable in other circles. So. Are you, you know, a wolverine? Are you a bear? Are you a, a twink? Are you, you know, so now you have all these categories to worry about. And I think that's also kind of interesting in this respect. Uh. Yeah, in, in gay culture, it's almost like you're divided by your body types. Um, it's like otters are skinny, hairy guys, you know, and that's like a thing. And And then a lot of sort of, you know, porn and stuff it's sort of that's where it really sort of gets um sort of that crystallizes these uh, divisions um and also in the terrible titles which are <laughs> you know <laughs> just like textbook racism and stuff and uh, weird and uh, yeah but but i think that a lot of this comes with like this this question talks about like the peers and the worry is the peers and um 
I felt that um, like it's about identity and like when you say like oh you don't even think about how you worry about your weight and I see like the women in my family also always have that relationship like that's what I talk to my mom about it's like three or four pounds less and that's just the conversation but it's also part of our culture so like there's this thing where people don't see the difference between like how it affects people socially and how it's a social thing because it's part of their culture so it's part of their identity and they might see it as something that doesn't change or can't you know move and I don't know yeah but but that is a very serious issue of course right like uh no, anorexia but you know so there's anorexia and then there's like mental health in general and and so I think you know looking at this in terms of mental health in general it's very important I mean not only men so sometimes uh, you know the point I tried to make earlier is like it's not more acceptable for women I think I think it's more of a stereotype for women that uh, mental health issue are something that affects them more than men you know and, and whereas it's absolutely not true, you know, everybody needs to uh, have a certain level of mental hygiene, I would call it. Uh, and, you know, and then if you're not careful and if uh, within your surroundings, you don't get the kind of support you need, if you, de you, you might develop such problems as are in anorexia and others. Uh, but, you know, it's important if you see your friends, if you see people around you to sort of try and r reach out and, you know, make clear that it's okay to uh, feel a little distressed mentally in some contexts because we all we all do you know we all uh, suffer from stress in various conditions uh -huh. yeah i guess like it's interesting for me being like the woman in this conversation because of course i hear it more like from the women point of view and i've had a lot of friends dealing with like different severities of anorexia or eating disorders and um yeah it's kind of like how you were saying how it's just more expected mm -hmm. of women and I wonder if it's just because like for men it's just you don't talk about it as much or you just you know like that's not it, like for you it was never something that you felt comfortable talking to me about um, well, mental health, or just, just like body image, or yeah, no, it, yeah, it's 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 odd. Um, certainly, body image. I, it's not something I've I've discussed with r really anybody, but it's more been an internal issue for myself in terms of my own mental health. I've had issues with my own mental health for you know at least half my life, um, and. Uh, I have in the past talked to different therapists and people. It's not something, though, that I've ever really shared uh, in great detail, um, especially when I was younger. Definitely not with my male friends. That was not something I broached. It was not a topic I broached with them. Um, uh, I've dis discussed it with you, but you're someone I trust and love. Uh, I've talked about it with my parents particularly my mother um, but there's not there's not many people um, it's actually it's funny that it's only now as I'm getting older that I'm more open to discussing it with people um, 
I wouldn't say strangers, but um, although I guess by by just doing this, I'm discussing it with strangers or I'm letting people know. Um, but I think it's so important, like some of the comments that have already been made that mental health, um, it, it's so important in our society and it's been stigmatized and we have to do more um, to, to make, I, I guess, people realize that it is, that mental health, mental hygiene, um, I think is the basis of, of not just uh, of all health, maybe like of physical health, emotional health. So, uh, if you if you're mentally healthy, I think you're gonna naturally be probably more physically healthy. Uh, I think I'm not sh- I'm not quite sure how to articulate this, but I think it it lies mental health lies at kind of the root of 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 all health. I, I don't know, but um, but but it's about uh, yeah. I mean, it's about many things. <laughs> it, it, it's a whole balancing act. And I think that the, the thing is we're, we're all always learning about these things. And so that's why it's so important to share about them. Because if we don't share about, about them, you know, you, you're only limited to your own personal experience. Um, yeah, and I, I went on YouTube before coming here and I saw a lot of testimonials and people's stories about male anorexia. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to see that a lot of the guys were actually very athletic and they were eating right, but then they were over-exercising. So, like, you fall into, like, these, like, people get to anorexia in different ways. It's not just that I'm not eating or it's, like, more complicated and you wouldn't expect this, you know, like gold medal jock to be talking about his anorexia, which he never did until he was like 10 years later confessing on YouTube, you know. Um, and at least for myself, like I'm very skinny, I'm six foot tall. Um, in in Dominican Republic, it's also, it's like, like the culture around eating is like, don't leave anything on your plate. You got to eat it all. You got to eat more. You got to have seconds and thirds because you want to show them the food's really good. And I grew up eating like three meals a day, like really heavy meals, like plantains, fried eggs and salami in the morning, like 8 a.m., you know, and same thing, like like lunch and then dinner, really heavy late dinners. And I just I've never put on a pound since I've been like 15 years old, since I grew and I'm 26 now. And I still have some people that tell me, yeah, you should put on some weight because my doctor tells me like you'll get over a cold quicker or something. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm totally healthy. I don't have a problem with my health, you know. Um, he still goes for seconds. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, like with my partner, like we eat the same things mostly. And when, you know, uh, we cook too much, we eat too much protein or something, like I see him sort of put on weight in a way that I don't. And that's just his body type and his metabolism. And right. Again, eating is a very gendered activity, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. Men are expected to have healthy appetites and eat large portions. And eat meat. And eat meat, right? And and so, <laughs> but if a woman were to go back for seconds, then she's, you know, called a pig, right? It, it, Unless it, she's very thin, and then it can sometimes be seen as, like, cute. Like, oh, she eats so much, but she's so thin. <laughs> but, yeah, but if the guy doesn't eat that, then you're like, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, there is, uh, yeah. Right. You didn't like it? You didn't like it, or, you know... Again, I, I feel like there's just such like a, a gendered attachment like to to eating, just eating mm-hmm. itself. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I guess this is um, also um, 
more about sort of how the culture affected sort of my body image when I was growing up. Um, I grew up with the internet and like globalized media on TV. So I get all these like access to anime shows and things from like Asian culture, which um, they're just like different uh, kinds of masculinity there that are sort of explored. And and sort of I, there were there were shows where, you know, there's they're very problematic because they're either very violent or very pervy or something with like underage themes and stuff. But then there's these characters like in Saint Seiya, there's a Shun Andromeda who's like out of all the like muscly like warrior armored warrior types he's like the only one that's not a mythological beast he's Andromeda the damsel in distress and he has a pink armor and long green hair and if they didn't refer to him as a he you wouldn't know that he was masculine character and I always sort of identified because him being a male allowed me to sort of bypass uh body image and gendered sort of narratives because I understood like oh there's like a boy that wears pink there in that cartoon on that tv and so I sort of had a displacement from my culture where I was like able to look around and be like well I don't ident- I don't identify with that but there's something else out there you know that um is more similar to me yeah there's like really something great with like animation and like fiction in creating these archetypes that don't exist in our society that's really binaric like creating these other kind of genders or these like to to give um because i i've heard i've read about like people like and we've talked about it like through video games how you can like create your own persona that can be like anything and it gives people like a place to sort of test things out Mm-hmm. in like a virtual kind of world before they enact it in their real world and I think to an extent like with my persona of ambivalently yours it was like a I kind of created this like anonymous persona who's like very close to me but isn't quite me but it gave me this like other place to play with gender and play with my identity which in turn helped me like change in my quote-unquote like real life as well like Mm -hmm. it was sort of like a practice place or a way for me to like try something out and then in real life I could sort of let things shift a little bit yeah I I mean it's very important to give your space I mean generally well not generally I can't say this and I'm not an expert but I find (laughs) that a lot of the time in uh, you know with mental health, a problem that seems to happen is you're not leaving yourself the space you need, you know. So if you can have these uh, virtual spaces that you create for yourself where you can experiment, I think that's very uh, important. So, yeah, so in video games playing, for instance, I think what you're making reference to is like uh, female characters playing as a male, uh, as a man, for instance, uh, that, that, that can, you know, uh, give people a different type of experience. Also, if you're... If you're uh, if you're playing online uh, with other people, playing as a female character might give you a, a different kind of experience where you can actually see what women experience on a daily basis. And that's happened to us. Uh, we, we play a, an online shooter game and, uh, you know, the characters are very well balanced and we ended up, you know, we play as female characters a lot of the time, uh, either me or uh, my, uh, my my partner. And... Uh, 
and um, and once it happened where you know we were playing a, a female character, and at the end of the match, this person st started sending us you know hate messages basically, and the idea was clearly like this didn't happen before. It seems like it's related to the fact that we're playing this female character, and it was really uh, at at least. To me, it was very un unsettling. You know, I, I felt attacked, and I didn't know why, and I didn't know how to react to this. Uh, so I can only imagine if walking down the street, you know, you get that treatment. How that? <laughs> there are so many benefits that come from staying away from binaries, and existing in between, and in only taking what you need and what feels right. Being exposed to alternative types of gender that aren't tied to being men or women can be really helpful. Fantasy, virtual spaces, video games, animation, and illustration can play a role in creating the kinds of genders we aren't used to seeing in the mainstream. It gives us a place to play and to explore. It can also be a place to experience how different genders are treated. Well, I'm very like, Femme, like I identify a lot, I've always have with feminine things and just having my hair long, like when I used to live in Brooklyn, like I'd be walking down the street or like on my bike and there's a bunch of like dudes in the corner just hanging out and they start like whistling and hitting on me until they like realize I'm a guy and like see my Adam's apple or just like hear me or something and then it goes from hitting on me <clears throat> to like ridic like ridiculing me in public, like making fun of me and then like harassing me and <clears throat> it's it's so weird. It's like <clears throat> femininity is like um so threatening, I guess it, by being passive, just like by not doing anything. Um Yeah, it's uh I, I wouldn't say so much that I'm sorry that no, that, that uh, femininity itself is threatening. I think it's certain people that feel threatened by it, and I'm not even sure that they understand why that would be the case. In fact, I don't think I understand why they're so mm -hmm. threatened. You know, ultimately. Well, perhaps. I think for a lot of like, a, in a lot of ways, like femininity is seen as like the lesser, and for a man to ha be attributed any like feminine qualities it's like an insult so they feel i think a lot of like hyper masculine um or fragilely masculine men <laughs> feel like afraid of being associated with anything that doesn't like fit within their or anything that's going to make them seem less masculine well this is what this very question's about right that this person is not fulfilling like you know so-called masculine roles or identities and he's being assigned uh i mean i'm not assigned the right word but you know the other the, the other males or other boys in his in his school are you know the only way they see fit to to put him down is to use or to associate him with femininity right or so emotions feminine yeah yeah, because a male having any sort of mental health, like, he's not really manly. Mm -hmm. Right. But but it's um it's it, so my my father is very like very macho, very alpha, and he himself has a different um sort of he's not the sort of muscly guy because it's like when he was really young, 
he took on judo very seriously and he had um uh he had this sensei that sort of taught him that to you didn't have to be the biggest guy to take out to be the best at judo and he learned that it was about sort of skill and placement and like technique and like he would sort of you know, tell these stories about how he would like beat people outside of his weight class just because he was good like he understood how it worked and what you needed to do and it, it for him it was more about sort of this cunning um and not the brute masculine force um but again, that that's not like I don't think it's a Western ideal. Like it's not an idea, you know. It's not the Americana, like cowboy, <laughs> you know, um, gold miner. <laughs> well, I think masculinity is is different. Like you see, like I mean, I see it like when we watch, like say, soccer. Like any like American or like British team or whatever. Like they're not that like physical but you'll see like south american teams or or like more latin cultures where the men will like hug each other and cry and like that's not something that you see with like white men maybe <laughs> um right so. i i had a, a very strange experience uh that's related to this i guess when i when i was younger in my early 20s i went and i spent a year in uh, turkey i lived in istanbul and uh, and over there in turkey uh, men, basically, when you greet each other, you hold each other in your arms and you kiss each other on the cheek, just like men and women and women and women do here. And men and men never do that. We shake hands, right? <laughs> uh, so I spent a year over there and I, I grew, you know, used to, to this. You know, I'm meeting people and, you know, men, actually, you kiss on the cheek. Women, you don't touch, right? Because it's Muslim, typically. I mean, I, I mean, not everybody's religious there. So some people I would greet like I greet women here but uh, the, the typical thing was for men to to do the kiss the kisses and when I came back uh, from that trip the first time around uh, I was landing in Boston and my parents came to get me they were so excited and it was the first time I was going away for a long period of time so uh, they decided to drive down to Boston and come and get me there and at the airport I go and my mom runs at me and jumps in my arms and we hold each other we're happy to see each other and then I go from towards my father and I go to give him the kisses you know and the hug like they do in Turkey and I, I didn't even click but his reaction was he thought that was really strange he took a step back you know and after that I mean I kind of forced him into it <laughs> but <laughs> but nevertheless you know you have like these these sort of even just gestures like this might put people in a, in a in a position where they're you know they're on their guards perhaps or they feel like something is off you know <laughs> the question came up of how we can be allies for each other without overshadowing each other's needs i think this is perhaps the most difficult task in all of this and one of my biggest fears with this podcast i guess what i'm also interested in sort of talking about is sort of what i brought up a little bit in the beginning like I don't know, like, if there's a way or, or if you think this is a problem, too. Like, I feel like within, like, say, feminist conversations, I wish there was a way to have, like, more room for, like, men to talk within them, too. I, like, I understand the need for specificity and, like, for, like, some discussions being for women, some discussions being for, like, people who identify as any other gender or, like, 
things that are more like racially grouped and like I understand the need for specificity but I also feel like there's a lack right now of communication between like different kinds of people and I think you know just in talking here we can see that in some ways we can all kind of relate to how like the way gender uh, is constructed in our society how it's like bad for everyone mm-hmm. and I wonder if sometimes like you feel like as like men you like you you're not included in these kind of discussions as much or I, I'm just I have a short tidbit about that um I identify as femme male but even though I like to present parts of myself as femme um I've sort of not gone to feminist things because they are sort of like free workshop for women or femme identifying and for example I'm not in a place where I am necessarily presenting as I would would sort of ideally like to so even though I'm sort of you know soft and tender inside and I have you know I don't I'm very sort of not um done when I go to these events you know uh so it's like I didn't feel like I had the subcultural capital to like walk in there and say I'm femme so I should be able to get this thing for feminine you know and I knew that I'm sure if I would have gone it would have been fine whatever but again these voices of like do I deserve this should I really be having that conversation or benefiting from that and in retrospect totally I totally should have gone I would have just found more people that I would have been comfortable around and um yeah, so I guess those voices in your head are sometimes other people's voices, and you have to sort of learn to distinguish your own from others. Yeah, I, I think um, so. So the, the these the these issues about feminism and uh, uh, in our society and how people can you know how male can gain access to the movements or, you know, like different types of events. Uh, This is complicated in some ways because ultimately I think there are so many different types of issues, you know, that that pertain to feminism, but ultimately maybe not all of them we want to call feminism, you know, like some of them have to do with gender and so on. I think ultimately if we were to live in a society that was, you know, uh, where, where, where we were fully equals, uh, everybody would benefit from that, and we would benefit from it not just from having women in different, you know, places of power as well as men and decision-making positions, such that you get different types of approaches to to several problems that we all tackle constantly in our society. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, also because I think that men have been creating kind of uh, or masculinity has been creating a a sort of a prison of its own in some sense. I think that men sometimes, I I don't believe that all men who are heterosexual, very manly men in all contexts, uh, feel very comfortable about having to put that attitude or certain types of attitudes in different contexts. And when I say that attitude, I mean, you know, uh, you, you... you show up in in some new location, a new job, a new class, a new school, or maybe a new town or something. Uh, there's typically a feeling where you need to kind of prove yourself, you know, and sort of like uh, kind of uh, 
come out whether you're gay or not, you know, like you need to sort of establish who the individual you're going to be and the dynamic that's already pre-existing there, presumably. Uh, and so this this situation with masculinity, the way we, we've set it up and like the sort of uh, the, the need to contrast with femininity in these contexts makes it such that, uh, you know, men are sort of prisoner of this, you know, and, and, and I think it would be to their advantage if or it would be to our advantage if we could all explore, you know, our more feminine sides and also just feel like we can be with each other just however we feel like in the moment, you know, not having to put on some sort of macho attitude in some context or, you know, that there aren't like interactions aren't so based on sort of a, a sort of a contest basis, uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I guess the question, even though, you know, we're partners and we've been together for nine years. There's still a part of me that doesn't know quite how to to get involved in the questions of feminism or or within feminist events, um, because and that's out of I guess partly my fear is that how how. How do you be an ally without um, uh, overshadowing? Overshadowing, right? Because it's not about me, right? Um, and so, although I'm not articulating this well, it's like I don't want like how do how do and I think this may be a question a lot of guys have. I, I don't know, but how how do you get involved? Uh, how do you become partners or allies without? Um, you know, trying to turn the attention back, back to men, right? I don't. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Or? I mean, I think like I can relate to that question in the sense of sense of being like a white feminist, and having those kinds of privileges, and like I worry a lot about that. About like how can I be an ally to people of different race and culture, and understand like what my privilege is and. I think a lot of it is just like trying to use your privilege to yeah to uplift other people to support other people um but i also think that there's something really great about sharing your experience because i don't know i mean i think for us like even within our relationship we've both studied gender um in school and we've talked about it a lot and I think it's kind of helped us figure out our own relationship because we don't really embody like the traditional roles of like the woman and the man. And I think that the more I've learned about feminism and the more I've kind of stopped worrying so much about being like the perfect woman or whatever, like the more fun I have with it and the less I worry about being. And, and I think even just for, for us in our relationship, as like a heterosexual couple we just get it's what's annoying is like what other people assume and I mean you you guys get that too but it's just like they assume that Graham should be good at working on cars and fixing <laughs> things and like <laughs> and like you know sometimes when there's repairs in the house and we have to use power tools like I'm the power tool person and like Graham's like does other things that like like we both do cleaning and I don't know like in a lot of ways Graham's a lot more like soft than I am I can be more 
I don't know. I just think that when you stop limiting yourself to these roles, you can do. You can just be so much more. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think for me, I, I don't think about it in in our relationship so much. You know, like of whether I'm being a man in the moment or more female. Uh, well, for example, um, several people have asked me, Kyle, if I'm transgender. Right. That's true. Um. Which is uh, like a confusing thing for me because um, uh, because you don't identify as having you know female sexuality. You're identifying yourself as right. Well, I can be transgender in just the way that I present myself, but I feel like. Um, it, that, that term involves sort of a, a transition, a sort of definitive transition. Whereas, you know, I'm a queen one day and the next day, you know, it's just sweatpants and like mm -hmm. the half of my beard that grows, you know, or whatever. Um, so like, I don't aspire to like full femininity or, um, Yeah, I guess we're just very, uh, I'm very sort of soft, but also I have a lot of masculine traits about me. Um, and um, just I just take them as they come. <laughs> and, you know, um, I guess I've been in sort of the more feminine role, but that has more to do with circumstance than like choice. And and when you say that, you mean in our sort of life roles? Lives. Because right now I'm yeah. working and, and he just finished his studies and he's looking for work right so it's not that this is the life we chose chose for ourselves necessarily you know what i mean yeah and when i say feminine of course traditionally like yeah feminine. right um because you cook more right and, I, yeah. i take care of the house i you know do all that stuff and i just never i didn't i don't have a relationship to it like i shouldn't be doing it because i'm a man I know, I know people in my family that would <laughs> and still, you know, like just, you know, wouldn't e even know how to like do stuff around the house because somebody else has been doing it for them for the past 40 years. But, you know, I just, uh, I'm very flexible, I guess. And, and if I can talk a little bit to the point you were making also, we're, we're more talking about identity and the way I think of, of masculinity and and sort of femininity or the typical roles is just a sort of an easy solution, right? We all have to resolve this issue of identity for ourselves and we all have to resolve it constantly because you change, your ideas about certain issues might change, certain experiences are going to change you. And so uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's important that there is this interaction between men and women but not because we're men and women you know when we discuss this these issues of femininity but because we have experiences of different types of identity and ultimately at the end of the day that's what we're after i don't understand why we're settling for these sort of uh, i don't know walmart versions of identities you know uh, we could have something much more complex and refined as individuals in society and allow ourselves that you know something that's more open um, Any last? Uh... I guess I just want to reiterate. I just want to reiterate how uh, your cultural context affects masculinity and like body image. Mm 
and sort of in our increasingly globalized world, look look at other cultures and traditions and just see how different it all is, because then it'll make you feel less pressure to sort of about your environment, like your geopolitical narrative might change. So right, it, it, it might reveal basically the ar arbitrariness and the artificial aspect of so many of these uh, characters, you know, traits that we feel obliged to embody. No, I'm good. <laughs> I don't have anything else then. Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded at Obero Artist Run Centre in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. Special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their technical, financial, and emotional support. Additional thanks to our special guests for taking the time to talk with us. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit my website, ambivalentlyyours.com, or follow me on social media, at ambivalentlyyours on Instagram and Facebook, at ambivalentlyyou on Twitter. To see the drawing inspired by this episode, or to submit a question of your own, please check out the Tumblr where this all began, ambivalentlyyours.tumblr.com. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. With your help, hopefully we can build up enough momentum so that website development and shippable mattress companies want to fund our second season. Thank you.